I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 80. Today in the show, my co-host Dan and I are going to be exploring, explaining, and lamenting the fine line between success and failure during the rut. Alright, welcome to the Wire to Hunt podcast, brought to you by Sitka Gear. And today on the show, Dan and I are going to share with you a story of two ruts, and the very fine line that runs between the two. And specifically, that's the fine line that runs between success and failure during the rut. And since Dan and I last recorded a podcast two weeks ago, a lot has happened. One of us filled a tag, one of us didn't, but maybe came pretty close. We both, most certainly though, had our fair share of challenges along the way, and lots of lessons learned. So today we're going to explore both of these stories and deconstruct a few of the things that went well and a few of the things that did not. It's definitely going to be interesting, maybe painful, maybe exciting, maybe a little bit of both, but I'm looking forward to it. That said though, before we dive in, we do need to pause briefly for a word from our partners at Sitka Gear. And today, we're actually going to be switching things up a little. And instead of our usual quick chats with Dennis Zuck, we've got Corey Pearsall, a customer service associate for Sitka Gear. And Corey is the guy who typically answers the phone when you give Sitka a call with a question. So I'm curious, Corey, other than the basic Sitka clothing-related stuff, what kind of calls do you actually get? Um, from just a general phone call perspective, I've had calls that kind of spread the gamut of, can you tell me about a GoPro? I don't understand how GoPro works to, you know, you know, my sheep hunt. Can you walk me through what I can expect? You know, what gear, what food, you know, hydration filters, you know, we enjoy to conversate about just about anything here. So does that mean if I've got any hunting questions, I can call you and you'll help me out on that too? Yeah, yeah, I think I can do that. <laughs> Perfect. I need all the help I can get. So if you've got questions about sheep, GoPros, sick of gear, or anything else for that matter, give Corey a call or check out sickagear.com. And now let's get back to the show. All right, so Dan, the 2015 rutcation is over. For you and me, you're back to the real world. How you feeling, man? I don't even really want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know, uh, Murphy's Law, I think it's called. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Uh-huh. I think that's what it is. That's kind of what happened, man. And uh, Let's not even – let's. Let, I say we start this show off on a positive note. Actually, what do you want to do? Do you want to start off – positive or do you want to end positive i was kind of leaning the the opposite of what you're gonna say i was kind of leaning towards ending on the high note so we could leave yep. our listeners with like some hope maybe <laughs> yeah for sure for sure that sounds good uh, but but you know like i mentioned in the in the intro 
I think we both have had some instances of that Murphy's Law type thing happening. Um, and if I learned anything, and we'll get to this later when we kind of talk through some of my, my experiences, but if I learned anything, you know, over the past couple of weeks, it just, and it, this isn't even something I learned, it's just something that was reinforced again. It's just that that line between success and failure, it's, it's like a, a difference of one second, one inch, one tiny little thing. So I imagine with you, You've got some stories where there were some things just like that. Am I right? I mean, I, I had my I had my fair share of, you know, close calls and encounters. And then I had times where I missed by like a mile. Yeah. Yeah. Spe- can I take can I rewind really fast just to make you feel a little bit better about yourself right now? I. I yeah, you can, but it's not going to work. <laughs> no, it probably won't. But I'm going to try. So today, okay, right? Um, I'm I'm coming back down off the high of the two weeks of rut hunting. I'm back working at my house in the office doing regular person stuff again, and you know, I work from home, so it's not like I get dressed in warm clothing or anything or in like normal people clothes. Sometimes I'm in my pajamas when I'm working. Long story short, I went to let the dogs out this morning. I was gonna go play fetch with them. I walk outside, close the door behind me, and then I try to get back inside the house. And the doors were locked. And the windows were locked. And I was stuck hanging outside of my house for two hours today in my pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me laugh. But you did kill a giant buck. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's my uh, my payment. I had if to I endure had, this. If I had to trade two hours outside right now in my pajamas for what you for what you got, I would do it. Yeah, I guess I'm right there with you. <laughs> so now, now that my embarrassment's out of the way, let's go back to yours. T- talk to me. What I mean, we we haven't actually well, we talked a little bit on the phone, I guess, but we haven't recorded a podcast in two weeks. Um, last time we talked, you had you know had the debacle with the big buck behind your buddy's house, missed it, but you were excited because he was still in the area, and then you had to head off for that wedding and all that kind of stuff going on. What's happened since then? Oh, so I'll just say that literally the best three days for for weather conditions, I was in a hotel room or taking part in a wedding. Yeah, I, I was thinking that when I was when I was out there hunting, I was like, man, Dan's timing is not real good. No, and you know, I could sit here and complain about it, but it's my brother, and it was an awesome wedding. I nailed the best man speech. Uh, I actually gave a PowerPoint presentation, and uh, um, you're so executive now that you got that promotion at your job. You're doing yeah, fancy stuff, doing fancy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so I get back right, and I'm thinking, okay, there might it's gonna. I hope this weather holds. It doesn't. I'm not. This has been the worst rut I've ever hunted as far as wind directions are concerned. Every wind direction has been out of the south, and south winds typically bring warmer temperatures, right? A lot of south winds. A lot of south winds. And I'm just sitting here going, oh, my God, like what am I going to do? Like all my – it seems like all my good spots, you need need a different – just how my property lays and how the properties in general lay. You know, this – my rut is a tale of two properties basically. And one is my bigger farm out – um, south of where I live. That's the one that I take an hour to get to. They logged it and people were chainsawing wh- even while I was there hunting. So just when I thought I would have a good set, you know, getting ready to set all day long, right across the creek on another property. Driving nuts. So I'm sitting here going, you know, anything could happen. You know, the, these deer that I'm hunting are quote unquote low pressure. And the, the reason I say it like that is because compared to what other people are hunting. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm, I still have to share property. The caliber of bucks basically is all that's different. I, I still have to share property with three other hunters. I still have to fight the logging. 
I still have to fight them, you know, doing farm work and working with cattle and stuff like that. I'm not sitting here trying to complain, but these are these are some of the the issues that I had to face this year. Yeah, definitely still challenges. I yep. was not just a outdoor channel TV show. Right, exactly. So I had to fight those. I didn't have my trail cameras up before the rut started. So I I didn't get and that's my fault. I I I failed as well as had some pretty crappy events happen just by chance. So I could sit here and I could talk, you know, tell you, Hey, I, I didn't get my trail cameras out, so I couldn't pattern a deer like I typically do. Whose fault's that? That's mine. Um, so I, I didn't have the time. Typically I take two weeks. I really only got somewhere around seven days to hunt, like really get at it. And that was broken up. And typically what I can do if I if I had everything right like I did the previous year and the year before, I use those trail cameras and I get the pictures and I'm like, okay, I can make a move on this buck because he's moving through this area at this time or I can at least get an estimate. You know, This year because of the logging, because of the additional pressure on, the, on the, my main property, I, I, there was less sign so I could – I had less information. To, to set up on my bedding areas had been trampled through by loggers and by you know woodcutters, so I had I had that kind of going for me against me, and it was just one of those things where every time I thought I w- I was ha- going to have a chance and I felt positive, I I snuck in, I set a you know I set a tree up or a, a stand up, I cut some shooting lanes and I felt good about it, something happened. You know, uh, you know, before I would get my ozonic set up, a doe would come down wind to me and just blow and blow and blow and blow and blow. And on this other property that I hunt, only 15 acres on my buddies, not only am I fighting pressure on either side of the farm, and by the way, his property is some of the best bedding area I've ever seen in my life, but if you get pressure on all sides and you're trying to hunt that as well, the deer, no, I mean, they, they're hunted. They, they are hunted deer. They're heavily hunted. They just happen to have this sanctuary that I, you know, I invaded on and to, to, to try to hunt. And they got that. They got that. And they were smart about their movement. And I mean, I've never seen deer look, walk with their heads up and bust me more than I have ever been busted before on this smaller property. It's just two different types of deer. Interesting. So, you know, and, and then with with the the inconsistent winds, you know, and I know they're they're a sponsor of the show, but Ozonics, you know, I trust in them a lot. And when the wind conditions are are right, that pro- that product works and it works very, very well. But when you got winds that are going 180 degrees, you literally have to stand up there and adjust your ozonics and stand up there and adjust your ozonics. And, and you're, that's almost a full-time job. And then that's confusing for, you know, you're, you're trying to sit there and watch if the deer are coming and, you know, not so much on my Southern property, but on my Northern property, I was getting, the forecast was saying South winds and the, the way the terrain laid, the wind was coming out of the Northeast. How that happens, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. So I'm fighting this and when the gust would come through, the gust would be out of the south, but the main wind would be out of the northeast. So that is 180 degrees difference of wind direction and how you're supposed to fight that, I have no idea. So I I would move, you know, okay, wind's bad, I got to get down, I got to move. Okay, so I did that. Finally, I'm just sitting here going every place that I sit is, is has a bad wind. So I had to move up way close to the house. And the day that I sat way close to the house and had a consistent wind, no deer went up, were up that far. So they're down there for a reason because they can get a whole bunch of different scent right there. And that's safe. So I don't know, man, I, I wish I had a better type of, you know, more to tell you. I, the, the only, the, the only thing that really went well for me was I had a couple sits where I had the south wind blowing off of a ridge into a valley, and I saw a lot of 
um, young deer come through and the time I had a shooter eight come through, I couldn't stop him. He was dogging a doe real hard and he ran by my stand at five yards and I was going, Hey, 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 shoes untied. Yeah. And anything. <laughs> and, and he would not stop. He was on her hard. And that other than me missing that booner, um, and, and getting busted by a 150 class 10, I mean, I was, I was not moving. I was sitting, you know, I was seated in the seated position and he was coming up this draw on my buddy's property and he, and he looked at the bottom stick and he followed the sticks up and he looked right at me, blew and ran away. Shoot. So, so I had, a, aside from the booner, I had two more opportunities at deer that I would consider hit listers and, uh, one busted me and the other one I couldn't get to stop. So, well, and then the one, the time that I called you and I was getting ready to walk onto the property uh, yeah. and I'm up by my buddy's house and there's a, a shooter eight pointer. He's a four year old, nothing to brag about in the antler category, but he, uh, got in between, there was a hot doe in between me and my stand and the, the mature buck was with her. Finally, the mature buck came off and I'm walking to my stand and the hot doe led them both right by me and they both busted me and I didn't see a deer the rest of the night. Jeez. So what was your breakdown between your usual property and this new property over your rutcation? How many days did you spend or what percent of the time did you spend on each? So I would say almost uh 60 40 75 25 somewhere in that range uh i spent a lot of time on the uh southern property but the last let's see thursday friday and saturday morning i spent um on the on the northern property at my buddy's house and um that was because i wasn't seeing the caliber of deer that i wanted to see i didn't have um the movement from the stand was poor because of the logging and, you know, the additional pressure. And one thing that I knew on my buddy's property was it kind of limited my decision-making and I was seeing deer and I was seeing the most important thing I was seeing does. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go down there. I'm, I'm not going to overthink it. I'm going to sit in a, you know, an observation stand. And then I'm going to play basically chess with these deer down in this little bottom because it was, it's so thick in this area that you can't really set up without jumping them because the entire rest of the property is a bedding area. So if you come in from the North, you're, you're stopping through bedding and you're kicking them out. So I had to go all the way down and then follow a Crick in if I wanted to go, um, you know, on a, on the South side of the bedding area, but the winds were coming out of the North because just the, the lay of the land. So then when I would get to the bottom, my wind was blowing up into the bedding area. So it was just like a giant circle that, so if I, if I would have sat on the North on the South wind or on the, if I was to sit on the South side of the property on a South wind, it would blow into the bedding area. If I would sit on the North side of the bedding area, the wind would blow from the North into the bedding area. So the, it was, I couldn't do anything except, <laughs> you know, except sit, except sit on the far west side and hope that I caught, caught one of them cruising in a pinch point and hope that the wind didn't shift enough for me to get busted. I mean, and you know, I hate to say it, I could have jumped a fence by five or 10 yards and sat in a better tree but I didn't. I sat on my buddy's property. I could have sat on another property that had blinds. Yeah, I could see blinds on it. You know, it's part of their property. Knowing that they're hunters, knowing that they, you know, I, I, I didn't ask. I probably should have, but it just didn't. It, I could have jumped that fence. I could have set up in that tree. No one would have ever known I was there, but, you know, I didn't do it. Cause I, you know, I wouldn't want someone to do that to me. Right. That was the right thing to do. But. So at, you know, if I got the further down, I get towards the Crick, the more consistent the wind is coming out of the South, it finally levels off. 
But if I'm, if I'm up where I was at, it was coming north and south, north and south. And I just hoped that when the deer would come out of this bedding area to go over to this next property, that it was, I had, I could get a shot off before they would bust me. And I got busted way more than, way more than I'd ever been busted at all just because of the swirling winds and the the way these deer act there. I mean, they're, it's almost like they were looking up. They knew I was there just waiting to find me. So, do you, and it was, go ahead. I was going to say, do you feel like, you know, you came into the rut just before the rut with a plan, right? And then it seems like just before the rut, you got access to this new property and it switched dramatically. Are you still happy with that decision that you made to hunt this new spot so much more, given the fact you had all these issues with swirling winds and, and a lot of the stuff that we were talking about all summer and all these deer and everything down south you didn't spend time on? Is that something you're still happy you did? Well, I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I did it because the logging, you know, in the summertime, you know, I'm sharing these pictures with you and I'm just like, oh my God, look at the caliber of bucks I'm going to be chasing. Cause typically they, they stick around when they started logging in early October and late September, I go, you know, this is going to, this is going to hinder me because all of my spots you know, are in a kind of this thick bedding area, but there's mature trees there. Sure enough, they went in, they, they harvested some of those trees. And I talked to the, um, I talked to the other guys who hunted a little bit at the beginning. They said, you know, this isn't the logging isn't really what kicked them out because they were still showing pictures, nocturnal pictures on their trail cameras. It's the guys going in and cutting the treetops for firewood that are, that are in there throughout the entire week. I mean, it was consistent. There was guys there all, all day, every day cutting firewood and deer will let you get away with a little bit of stuff, but not that much. So, so my, so my buddy's property, I really, during the week, I I didn't see anybody. I didn't hear anybody. I, you know, there was, there was deer movement there. I had seen the most mature deer at his property, so I just went with my odds and and uh, decided to kind of bail on my southern property and head up north here. And you know, yeah, I had a couple opportunities. You know, that didn't work out, but at least I had opportunities. Yeah. Down south, I was seeing, you know, one and two year olds with the you know tiny racks come through. I, I passed a oh a hundred and thirty inch. 130 inch three-year-old I pet you know and I was getting to the point where I was like I just feel like killing something but then I thought to myself would I really be happy doing it you know when a when 130 inch three-year-old it makes it makes me more happy to see what he turns into the next year and eat tag soup now this on on this northern property my buddy really wants me to kill a deer so he can have the meat for it that was kind of an agreement that we had so tomorrow night and this weekend, I'm on kind of a, you know, I'll see what the movement's like, but I'm going to kill something for basically just for him. He wants to meet. So, so how much time do you have? I have tomorrow evening and then this entire weekend. And then I'm pretty much after that, I'm done. I'm pretty much done bow hunting. That's all the time I'm really going to get. So... Long story short, you got to make it happen here pretty quick. I got to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, the, it hasn't been, you know, my, my fate hasn't been sealed yet. I still have a little bit of time. I still have, I have, I, before I left, I hung three more trail cameras up on one of my properties, my Southern property over some sign. And, uh, hopefully it, uh, it gives me enough, it gives me enough information to make a move on a deer on the last couple days, or I might give up, head back n- north here and try to do a ground blind or literally sit in that potting shed that he has down where all these deer are running, running through. That's where you should have been this whole time, dude. Sit the shed. <laughs> I, I'm not joking. If there was, if there was shooting lanes, if I had a shooting window out of that thing to the West, cause it opens up on the East side, I would have had a crack at every mature buck on that property. Jeez. Wow. 
So, so, so your game plan right now though is to focus back south this coming weekend or the next three yep. months. Uh, so Friday night, I think we're supposed to get heavy rains and thunderstorms, but if they kind of, if it's just a fizzle, then I'll still go out. But, uh, I have a stand set for these Northwest, like these West Northwest winds that we're having. And, uh, I just hope that something cruises by historically. And then I have a spot that I'm going to jump to Saturday night, Sunday morning, uh, that I had some historic luck with and i'm gonna check my trail cameras and you know it's basically hail mary time for me yeah well you gotta do it like you said this is the time to do it so you know i might be able to get out um and have some saving grace late season you know hope for those really cold temperatures and get try to find a food source on my buddy's property but uh we'll see it's gonna be you know this isn't the first time i've ate my buck tag and i know it's not gonna be my last and uh, I have, I've, I've had a goal this entire time. In 2006, I said to myself, I think the right way to do this is to hold out for mature deer. And if I want to kill some deer, I want to kill some does. Take care of that early. Focus on your bucks. And if you don't get a buck, you know, maybe take a doe, uh, another doe before the season ends and uh, fill the freezer. And that way you got more big bucks to chase the next year. There you go. So, Here's my last kind of question about what's been going on the last two weeks. If you look back on your rut hunts, like you said, you had seven days or maybe a little bit more than that if you include before the wedding and everything. Would you have done anything different? Yeah. What, other, than, other than hitting that buck. Yeah. <laughs> what, what would you have done different? All right. So I'll just say it right now, and hopefully I can have this article finished by the time that we launched the podcast. But I'm I'm writing an article right now about the five whys. It's called Whitetail 5Y. And it's about what I you, – you, you have a problem. Why didn't I kill a mature buck? And you ask yourself why five times. Why? Because I missed him. Why did you miss him? Because I misjudged the distance. Why did I misjudge the distance? Because I – I didn't practice enough. Okay, there's a there's an end result right there. I need to practice more for my shots. You know, I like why. That. You know, why did I not kill a mature buck? Because of inconsistent wins. You know, why were there inconsistent? Or because I got busted. Why did I get busted? Because of inconsistent wins. And you can't really break that down. Why were there inconsistent wins? But what you can learn from that is. I, I was in the wrong stand location. Why were you in the wrong stand location? Because it's a new property and it really doesn't, it's not all about finding a problem. It can also be about learning from a negative experience. And, you know, that's the, that's the theme with this podcast, you know, yeah. and, um, you know, and, you know, why didn't I pattern a buck? Because I didn't have my trail cameras out. Why didn't I have my trail cameras out? Good question, dumbass. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) it came down to me deciding to get in a truck and try to make it home to my family before dark, as opposed to staying out an additional hour and a half to put my trail cameras where they needed to be. You know, I'm not going to use my family as an excuse and I'm not going to use time as an excuse because I had the time and my family understands that it's hunting season. So that's on me. I, you know, the, some of this stuff is on me. Yeah. Time is important. And no, I didn't get a hunt as much as I did in other seasons, but you know, ha, you know, 70%, 80% of what happened this year is on me. And then the, the rest of it is on, you know, chance can't control the weather. You can't control the guy you know, like Saturday morning, I'm like, you know what? I have all my supplies. I'm sitting all day. I have a consistent wind. The oh neighbor comes out and starts chainsawing and lighting his leaves on fire. And where does the smoke go? Right down the valley into my stand set and blows all the bottom out. I got up and watched the Hawkeyes go 10 and 0. So, <laughs> so there, that was it. I mean, I didn't hunt at all Sunday. Uh, Sunday morning, I had a hangover. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 there you go. <laughs> so there's that. But what I want to know, I I, I want to hear about your success because that actually makes me happy. Well, 
I want to tell that story too, but before that, we do need to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors of this podcast episode, Lacrosse Boots. And a few years ago, my buddy Peter Lynch was filming one of his hunts for Wired to Hunt. And being our resident class clown and bored in the tree, he started filming his own take on a commercial for lacrosse boots. And it was pretty awful, but it made me laugh hard. And so today I wanted to listen back on that old clip and then chat with Pete now to see just what he was thinking when he came up with lacrosse boots' most effective or awful new slogan. Lacrosse boots. It's better on your feet. I'm not sure they're... I'm not sure if they're... Mark, I'm not really sure if they're... They're sane. Let's make one up for them. Lacrosse boots. Better off on my feet than yours. (laughs) All right. So, Pete, when I first saw this clip... I was in hunting camp during the 2013 rut, I think, in Ohio, and I watched it, and I just broke down laughing. What were you thinking when you're sitting in the tree doing that interview? <laughs> well, Mark, as I listen to that now, I, I think I was probably a little sleep-deprived, as we had mentioned <laughs> in that clip. <laughs> it, was a, it was a unique season. We lost our property opening weekend, and reason why, we don't go on the property much because we know the habitat, what the deer are doing, but they got leased out from under us. We, we didn't have a lease there, but property was gone so it was kind of a long season even though it was only mid mid-october so i just was probably sleep deprived kind of anxious that day and said you know what let's talk about these boots you know lacrosse boots it's kind of what it was yeah yeah so so now that you've worn those lacrosse arrowheads for a couple of years now i think you know what are your what are your actual thoughts on them all joking aside well you know all joking aside i was a little apprehensive at first i had a pair of boots similar they weren't lacrosse another brand and, and they were kind of made my feet cramp, and kind of, as I walked up hills, the ankles weren't very supportive. Uh, a little history on me, I was pretty athletic back in the day, as we all were, so to speak, but <laughs> I've had three knee surgeries, and, uh, and walking in those boots can take a toll, but I, I noticed with that change in the season, uh, I had to walk farther, go through rivers, up and down more bluffs than usual uh, to do some new scouting, and my feet were fine, my hips were fine, and the low back didn't take a toll like I usually have with other boots of the same brand or the same type or style. So nice. I was quite impressed, yeah, definitely. That's awesome. Well, glad uh, glad that they served you well and helped you uh, feel like you were young and athletic again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one thing you can say, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're looking for a new pair of hunting boots or just want to feel young again, visit lacrossefootwear.com. And now, back to the show. Well, uh, makes me happy too. <laughs> I wish that we. I, I, I'm sorry to hear about how stuff went for you, man. I know, I know that feeling. Yeah. Um, but man, like we were saying earlier, the difference between that feeling and the feeling I have right now, it's like a, a one minute period. Like if one minute had been different for you, yeah, could have been a completely different feeling. And that's how it was for me. You know, six it, inches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just a. <laughs> Um, it's, it's just amazing to me how I was feeling the same way that you're feeling right now Yeah. on Tuesday night last week, thing after thing after thing was going wrong. I was just down and I was like, you know what? It's just not in the cards this year. I got lucky. I killed that buck opening day in Michigan and that's it. My luck ran out. Things are not coming together. And, um, and it, I just, it just didn't feel like it was going to happen. And then all of a sudden, I mean, just a matter of seconds, it flipped on its head. And that's just something that is so hard to remind ourselves of or keep us believing in when you sit out there for hours and hours and hours, day after day after day, and things goes wrong and things go wrong and, and you're you're tired and you're upset and you're frustrated or whatever it might be. And we, like we talked about in the last episode, the dark side of the rut, I mean, these feelings that we can get when things aren't going our way, they can really bring you down. But it's just this this season, more than any other, has just reminded me of the fact that regardless of what's going on or what conditions are wrong or what isn't happening, you just need to be out there keeping on grinding because eventually a switch can flip or a small little thing can happen and it, it just changes everything. So that's what happened for me. Um, and two other examples of a similar thing happening were actually three other examples were really good examples of this same concept because 
you know, since we last talked, um, we talked two weeks ago, and I had just come home from Iowa after being out there for five days. Um, I came home for a day because a warm front hit. It was going to be in the mid-70s, and I had to do some stuff at home. So I came home for a day. I figured that warm front, that's the day to do it. So I came home. Well, the next morning, again, this super hot day, like Tuesday, I think it was, or Wednesday, one of my friends kills a nice Iowa buck right there down by where I was hunting. The next morning, again, one of these mid-70-degree days, my buddy Corey that you know shot a really nice nearly 150-class buck on one of these really hot days. Two days later, when it's still pretty warm and super windy, again, I'm thinking, eh, not going to be the best of days, my other buddy kills a really nice buck. So it's just like, even when we're looking at these things that say, ah, today's not going to be the day, or oh, this thing's going wrong, or whatever it might be, you know, you just got to be out there, got to be going at it, because... These, you know, these three were perfect examples for me, again, of even when in my head I'm looking at the forecast or I'm looking at my, you know, whatever cards have been dealt to me, I'm like, eh, doesn't look good. Well, boom, yeah. just like that. They were perfect examples of the fact that it can change. So that all said, you know, after we talked two weeks ago, I got back in the truck, drove back down to Iowa, and I hunted uh, Wednesday night, all day Thursday, all day Friday, and s- Saturday morning, I think. Um and it was kind of more of the same. Um, every hunt I went on, there was some other issue with another hunter, hunting pressure. Um, I went to a, another farm. I got permission on a property, or I got permission from a family that had two farms. One was like the big 500-acre one. That's where I've been hunting most of October and early November, and that's where I kept on running to hunters. Every, time, every single time I went out there, there was someone else. So I was like, all right, it's time to ditch this farm, which I thought was really great. At least it looked good. And I was like, I need to try somewhere new. So I went to this other smaller piece that didn't look quite as good in the map, but I was hoping maybe it's, you know, uh, overlooked by other hunters. Well, yeah. I got out there, and here's two other hunters that show up when I get out there. So I just couldn't get away from it. Um, I went back to my little honey hole that I had found on the first farm, um, after two days of that new one and went to this far little corner where it didn't seem anybody else was going. And, and that's where I'd seen those couple shooter bucks early in November. Um, and I went back to sit that and at midday, here comes a guy on the neighboring property driving all over the place in his truck, stopping, walking onto my farm that I have access to. He had a camera on that farm, on this farm too, walks into the field I'm sitting, then goes into his property or this neighboring property, walks right up the big bedding ridge where all these deer have been coming out, walking all over the place, hanging trail cameras and all this kind of stuff. So it's kind of disheartening. Um, but, you know, like you said, that's just what happens. Whether it's Michigan or Iowa or wherever, you have to deal with other hunters, and it does impact the deer hunting. So... That was happening, and so I didn't see any shooters that week in Iowa. I was feeling kind of down, and I was like, you know what, I just need to change the scenery. Um, and a cold front was hitting in Ohio that next day, so I said, you know what, i got to get down there and, and give Ohio a shot. So drove down to Ohio and started hunting there. Excuse me. It ended up being really slow there, too. I thought I was going to be on. That front hit. Timing was good, but just nothing was moving. It was just, like, ridiculously dead. Um, like for the first three days, I saw like one deer a day, two deer. My buddy saw one deer, two deer. I mean, it was, it was definitely slow to the point. I was like getting worried, like what's going on? Um, this was never a place where we saw tons of deer, but you know, you'd usually see some, you know, at this time of year, you'd see some bucks cruising. You'd see some two year olds running around. You see some stuff going on, but it just wasn't happening. Um, but I did check some trail cameras and I got good news on the trail camera. What I saw was that starting that last week of October and continuing on all the way till I got there, the buck I was after, above all others this year, Glenn, was back on the farm and consistently. Like he was hitting this one, we had one camera that he hit eight times over the course of seven days, I think. And some of those those visits were during daylight or like right on the edge of it. So I was really excited about that, and that made me decide, you know, just to focus all my efforts on this single ridge, this basic one little area where it seemed like he was hitting over and over and over, and it's it's the best funnel towards just outside of a bedding area on this property that we have. Um, And I just kept on telling myself, if you you sit here long enough, eventually he's going to come cruising through. Like, this isn't a big, this is a very small property, and the amount of actual hunting or huntable land is, is really small. There's just a couple fingers of timber, really. Um, so there ba- there's a bedding area and a half on it, really, where a couple does bed. And basically you're banking on the fact that 
these bucks are going to cruise from the two properties on either side and, and cross through. And you just have to put your time in long enough till they finally do and you've got to be in the right spot. Um, so I just told myself if I do that, if I sit it out long enough in this basic area, eventually it's got to work out. Something's got to come through. And hopefully based on these pictures, Glenn will be the one that does. Um, but, you know, as I mentioned, those first three days, it wasn't happening. It was just super, super duper slow. Um, were you seeing any movement? Uh, pretty much none. I mean, a couple does here and there and yeah. a spike. The only buck we saw for the first three days was a spike. Um, and the, the morning before my success, I did see a little more movement. And then that evening at la- like after last light, like just, I could see figures way off in the distance with my binoculars. I was kind of sitting, there's this bedding area that butts up to this little finger of cut beans and I was sitting on the edge of this bedding area, overlooking the bedding area, but you could see way down this open field, way back behind me, and way at the other end of the property, after dark, I could make out the figure of two big bucks walking across the field towards the neighbors. Um, so I was like, hey, all right, this is you know a little something a little bit encouraging. There are some decent bucks still here, which you know I knew, but it's you know when you're not seeing it for three four days, it's, it's you start to doubt it. Um, yeah. That made me feel a little bit better. Um, was hoping you know maybe things are changing. But then the next morning, I went back to my basic core area where I thought these deer would be, and again, nothing. I sat, you know, the first, and I was hunting all day, um, and the first, like, 10 hours of the day, saw nothing. So this brings me to the day of days. And like I said, hunted the first 8, 10 hours of the day or whatever it was um, and saw no deer at all, just dead as a doorknob. It's November 10th, I think, and just nothing. And so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, you know, maybe I need to switch it up. Maybe I need to change my stand location. Um, there's another stand I have that was only like 80 yards away from where I was at that would give me a view at least of that corner where I saw those two bucks come out the night before. And it's more on closer to the food source. And I was like, well, maybe I should shift over there. At least I could see something and maybe call to something based on where I am right now is deep in the timber and I can't see anything unless it's, you know, relatively close. Um, but it's a better funnel. So I sat there for like half hour, just going back and forth, back and forth. What should I do? And then finally I'm like, you know what? You're going to move. So I start packing up my stuff and then crash, 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 crash. Here comes a doe running past me and the little buck chasing her. I'm like, well, maybe that's a sign. Um, so then I just kind of pause for another minute and I'm like, okay, you know, I'm still going to move. So then I start packing up my stuff again and then step, step, step. Here comes another buck cruising down the ridge towards me. I'm like, all right, that's got to be a sign. Like, I need to stay here. Yeah. So I stay there for like another hour, hour and a half. And then the little birdie in the back of my head starts chirping again. You got to move. You got to move. You got to move. Time, what time was this? This was like 3.15 in the afternoon now, 3.30. Um, and it's getting dark around just before 6 o'clock, I believe, is the end of shooting light. Um, and it's like, you got to move, you got to move. And I'm like, you can't move. And then the bird's like saying, yeah, you got to move. <laughs> <laughs> so finally, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go with my gut. Like I'm looking at all the things in my head. I'm looking at the fact that, yeah, this spot, even though it hasn't been as good, historically it's your best bet. It's going to funnel deer movement. If something moves through, this is going to be where they go through. You got the pictures right by here. But my gut just said, you got to switch it up. And it wasn't a big shift. I only moved like 80 to 100 yards away. Yeah. But you know, enough that if something came through on this ridge, I wouldn't be shooting it. So I finally was like, you know what? You just got to trust your gut. I didn't have a really – I had a couple of decent reasons to go over there. I could, I could see a little more. I was uptight to another kind of secondary bedding area that maybe there's something going on over there. Uh, but mostly I was just kind of moving on a gut decision, like just like I just got to switch it up. Um, so I snuck down. And I just crept my way over to this other stand. It was one of those still days. Everything was really dry. It was really noisy. Yeah. Um, but I just just took my sweet time. I probably got down from that stand at like 3.30. And I took probably half an hour to 45 minutes to get 80 yards away to this other stand. Um, I waited till any little gust of wind to take a step. And I just inched my way. And as I'm going, I hear crash, crash, crash. A little buck comes chasing a doe at me. So I drop to the ground. I'm stuck there for like 10 minutes watching them run around. They finally disappear. I finally get to the tree. I get up in the tree. And as soon as I get in the tree, before I'm even getting my stuff hung up and ready, here come three does past me. So I'm like plastered against the side of the tree, frozen, trying not to move at all because they're literally right underneath me. 
and right downwind of me. Um, and they got, you know, in the ozonic stream, and they, they could tell there was something different, but they never really did figure out what was going on. But there was enough of something that they just kind of stood there looking around like, what's going on? Um, so I was stuck there for 20 minutes, and the whole time I'm thinking, oh, geez, now it's almost prime time. It's almost 5 o'clock, the final hour. What a stupid idea. I should never come over here. Now I'm not even going to, you know, be set up before if something does come through. I've still got my bow on the ground. Um, well, finally they move off. And they start heading down this valley behind me. And then a little buck comes and starts chasing them. So now I get a little break in the action. I scurry to get all my stuff hung up. I get all set. Camera gear is up. My bow's hung up. Got an arrow knocked. And um, it's just been a cluster. Just kind of a mess of an afternoon. I'm sitting there kicking myself. Like, I should have just stayed where I was at. And, um, you know, again, I'm thinking, what an idiot. You just keep making these the wrong decisions. Things aren't going right. Um, and then I heard this this squirrel over to my right behind these thick cedars there's this kind of row of thick cedars just to the right of where my stand was and the stand is is just inside of an inside corner of a little finger of beans that kind of juts right into the edge of a big ravine um and there's a bedding ridge on the other side of the ravine and there's a little bit of bedding on the i don't know to the other adjacent side um and i was kind of in this little corner in between the two and i hear the squirrel but you know, for two weeks I've been sitting almost all day, every day, and you hear half a million squirrels every day. And yeah. I don't know about you, but you know, every time I hear one, I'm like, that's ah, a squirrel. But I better look. So I look, and then of course it's a squirrel, and I just get pissed, more pissed every time <laughs> I see one. <laughs> so, so now I hear the squirrel. I'm like, stupid freaking squirrel. But I'm like, I better check. So I look over there, nothing. And then I continue kind of fiddling, getting my stuff ready, and then I hear it again. Check, still nothing. Can't can't see through these trees. One more time I hear it, but this time it, it had there was like some weight behind it. It was a little more than like the like the scratching of leaves. It was like a weight. It was like the scratch of leaves and like a hump. Like a, just a look of, I don't know, just you could tell something was different. Yeah. And I was like, okay, there's something going on here. So I really focus all my attention there now. And I hear another step. And now finally, okay, yeah, that that's a deer. So I reach, I grab my bow, and just as I'm grabbing well, start to grab reach towards my bow, I see tines come out from behind the cedar. And it was crazy because really it never sounded like a deer was walking, never sounded like anything until it was right there. Literally, I couldn't confirm it was a deer until he was 20 yards away, step, these tines stepping up behind the cedars. And it was one of those deals where instantaneously, you know, instantly knew, yep, that's a shooter. I saw really long and thick G2s and G3s. And, uh, you know, at this point, you're going into the season, I was like, all right, I want to hold out for Glenn. I want to hold out for at least, you know, one of these top three bucks in the farm. But now, how the season's been going, I was feeling pretty down about stuff. And at this point, I was like, you know what? If a quality buck comes through, I'm taking it. So I see quality buck, and I don't even bother to look at him again. All I did was reach and grab that bow while he steps behind a tree. I drew back. He took one more step past this tree, and I released. I mean, it happened like in less than five seconds. And I literally didn't look at his head except for the first glance when I saw, yep, shooter. And then from there, it was just get the bow, get drawn, take an extra second. I slowed down just a little more than I usually do, which is good. And I pinwheeled him right, right behind the shoulder, heart shot him. This buck runs off about 40 yards, backflips, crashes, dead. So at this point, I'm just like, holy smokes, like... It's just been a debacle of a day. I just got in the tree, and boom, a nice buck comes in. I got the shot. He's dead. Right there, I can see him. I, I kind of had a meltdown um, just from the, the madness of like how quickly it happened. Yeah. Um, but he's down. So real long story short, I, I want to get back to a couple of things that I think led to that happening. But I know where you, I know you know what happened. But at this point, I didn't know what I had just done. I had just thought I shot 100 to 135 inch, maybe 10 pointer. I thought, hey, it was a quality buck. Like I said, I just briefly looked at the frame at the times, like, yeah, shooter. So I go to walk up to him to just make sure, you know, I was going to walk over there. I was going to set my coat on him to make sure the coyotes didn't come to him. Then I was going to go back and grab my buddy and then come back out later. Well, when I walk up to him, I'm seeing the twos and threes again. I'm like, okay, he's a nice eight pointer, sweet. And I come around the corner, and then I see this kind of nubbin of a G4 on the one side. And that rung a bell with me because I'd stared at these pictures of one of these deer that you know was on my farm repeatedly. And then I looked down, and he's got a sticker off of his base, and my jaw just dropped. 
and I just stood frozen next to this deer for like 30 seconds not moving because I had just killed Glenn. I, I couldn't believe it. I had no idea when I'd done it, but I had just killed my number one buck I'd been after that year, a buck I'd been after for three years. I had missed him two years ago, and now unbelievably I had just shot him and watched him drop 40 yards away from the tree stand. Insane. He was an unbelievable deer, five-and-a-half-year-old. I rough scored him at 160 inches, just a stud of a deer, and I had just kind of done the unbelievable. The, the number one goal I had for the year, somehow I had just pulled it off after feeling like I definitely wouldn't get it done for the last two weeks. So I'm feeling pretty good right now, Dan. Well, you should. I was feeling good for you when, when – uh... I was a little pissed, to be honest with you, that I had to find out through Facebook. Your co-host had to find out through Facebook or Instagram or wherever I was looking that there was a bloody arrow. I didn't text you the picture yet? No, you texted me the picture, but I had to ask for it. <laughs> Sorry. I got – man, I got conf- – I got – Hard time. My dad yelled at me about the same thing earlier this year. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't find out that I killed that Michigan buck till like I think the next day because I texted him that night. Yeah. Um, but then I was okay. So I called my wife. I called my dad or texted my dad maybe. And then you know it's just chaos. I got to get a hold of my hunting buddy who's there with me. And then man, it was nuts. Well, that's a stud for sure, man. Congrats. Thank you. It was. Uh, He's gonna look good right over your bed. Yeah, he probably won't be there, but uh, <laughs> that way that way you can fall asleep looking at him every night. I mean, that'd be cool, but he he's got a good spot reserved for him right now in my kind of man cave area. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. But but you know, man, it's uh, I realized something the other day that is kind of unbelievable, and I I do not attribute this to me being some kind of great hunter at all. I attribute this to being lucky, and learning some things as I've, as I've come along, but I've killed my number one buck I've been after each year, the past three years, three years ago, it was six shooter who I had been, who I had three years of history with. I got him with my muzzleloader in December. Last year was jawbreaker who I had two years of history with. And then this year, Glenn, three years. Um, and I started thinking like, Whoa, like how does that happen? How did you actually pull that off? Um, and like I just mentioned, I've mostly just been very, very fortunate, very lucky. Things went my way. Um, but then I started thinking about it more, you know. Not that I can – I'm not going to try to claim it all. Like I'm some kind of expert that did this exactly, and I knew it was going to go this way, and I did it, and it went just the way I planned. That's not what happened. Um, but I do think that this is an example of something that – or many of the things that you and me talk about all the time. Um, you know, not that it wasn't that long ago that I was just, you know, starting to kill my first bucks in Michigan because I hunted up in northern Michigan and never killed anything. Um, Then I started killing some little bucks, and then finally, you know, some number of years ago, not that long ago, I decided, you know, I'm going to start targeting mature bucks. And, you know, it's just a matter of immersing myself in it, studying as much as I can, learning from as many different people as I can, and then just putting in the work over and over and over and over and over and over. And it's starting to manifest itself now with some of these successes. And I think, you know, it's an old adage that people say all the time. But um, what do they say? Luck is where preparation meets opportunity. I think that these are instances where, you know, if eventually if you if you prepare enough and you do the right things enough of the time, even though it won't work out most of the time, eventually you will get lucky and have a situa- or situation or circumstance like this present itself like that. Um so I think this was, I got lucky and I'm super, super, super fortunate and thankful for it. Um, but I can point to a number of little things that I'm not sure which one of these little things actually led to the success, but the fact that there's a lot of little things that I've learned about over the years, or I've pushed myself to try to do better each year or whatever it might be that some combination of these little things, I think maybe led to this opportunity. So I thought I might walk through a couple of these, Dan. Yeah. Um, and you tell me when I'm getting boring or when you want to know more. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that the two biggest things, if I had to look at the two biggest things that led to this kill and really to the last three years, what success I've had, it's 
paying attention to the little things and then just grinding it out, you know, just putting in the time over and over and over, even when I don't want to be out there, even when I'm tired, even when I'm upset or frustrated or whatever it might be, just kept on going and kept on sitting and kept on trying and kept on working. Um, but little things, you know, utilizing your intel. You know, this is something we talk about all the time. I saw, I got these trail camera pictures. I knew that Glenn was hitting this spot relatively consistently. And even though I hadn't seen anything for those first three days, and even though my buddy wasn't seeing anything, I, I trusted in the fact that this core area, if I sat it long enough, something could go right. And eventually it did. I was a little bit, I shifted just a little bit, but I was still in that basic core area. And finally, you know, it did pull off. Um, number two, I think, and this is a super intangible one that, that we talk about too, and I, I can't really quantify what it means or how to know when to do it, but trusting your gut, you know? Yeah. I mean, yep. you talk about that a lot. I I don't know how to tell when I'm trusting my gut and when that's the right thing to do versus when my intellectual analysis is the right thing to do, but I just decided, you know what? I just got that feeling and you got to go with it. And it, you know, this time, while maybe seven times out of 10, it doesn't, work out this time it did what that means I don't know um but maybe there is something to that you know we, we talked about I think with Adam Hayes right you just start to develop maybe uh some type of I don't well, know, intuition I what happens is that gut feeling and that intellectual understanding of how deer move or you know deer hunting the more time you spend in the tree the closer those things get to each other very true. They merge. They merge. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and then, you know, it almost becomes subconscious then some of these decisions you make, yep. um, which is, that's like, that's like the, the, the top of the hill that I'm, you know, that we're trying to get to. Right. Yep. Um, so I guess I look at this every time it does work out, you're getting, you're taking one more step up that hill, I suppose, getting it, figuring out just a little more. Um, you know, another thing that I, that maybe made a difference, maybe not, but just, being careful with my access to that tree stand, you know, in past years, back in the day, I probably would have just, I want to get to that tree stand. I want to get there now. And I'm just going to trudge right there as fast as I can. If I had done that, maybe I wouldn't have seen Glenn, you know, maybe he was bedded at the end of that point for a little bit, or maybe he was cruising down the ridge and was on his way, taking his sweet time. Um, you know, he didn't, he showed up less than 30 minutes after I got in that tree. Um, so Who's to say? One of those small things that in the moment I was like, gosh, this is the pain in the butt, but I know I got to be quiet and try to get in here without spooking anything, and maybe that made a difference. Um, you know, maybe the fact that I had kept pressure on this property very, very, very low all throughout the season until I came back for the rut, maybe that made a difference. You know, I went down there and hunted the first couple of days of the season, and then I didn't have the right weather conditions um, or different things that I wanted lined up to go back again. I was going to go again during mid-October, but the time frame I had to go, once it showed up, the weather wasn't right, and I decided, you know what, I'm not going to push it unless the conditions are right. So I didn't go down at all until November 8th or 7th or whatever it was. Um, maybe that made a difference. Maybe that helped keep some of these does there, which brought Glenn there. I don't know, but maybe one of these little things like that made a difference. Um, maybe it was just the focus, you know, I after two weeks out there having so many of these lousy, boring sits, especially the last, like, five, six days before my kill, they were just dead. I didn't see a shooter for 12, 13, 14 different sits straight. But finally, you know, even though I'd seen a million squirrels, I paid attention to this one and kept checking and kept checking, and lo and behold, this squirrel was a buck. Um, so, you know, it's just it's a bunch of different little tiny things like that that I can't say that this is why I killed it. I can't say I had some perfect plan to kill him right there, but... But the only thing I can take away from this and that I kind of look at as, as my big takeaway from this season and this hunt is basically something within this, some little combination of all these little things I've been trying to get better at, it paid off. And I just kept at it and I stuck with it and I got that, you know, that one little tiny chance we get. And, and that could, you know, just as well have been you or anyone listening. You know, I, I, I got lucky that I actually did get that opportunity but I think you have to do some of these little things right to get those opportunities. And I, and I think our stories are, are very similar. It's just the ending's different. Right. And I mean, we both hunted hard. Now, I mean, granted, we both had different circumstances. But for the most part, we played our cards the way we play our – like we should have played our cards. And 
Uh, it's just something very minimal that either tips in a, in a positive or negative direction. Absolutely. And I, I guess that that's what brings me to the fact that it's just like a matter of just not giving up. Right. I mean, it, it just as well could have been you as it was me. It just as well, you know, it's just if you just got to put yourself out there, do as many of the things as you can possibly do right, right. And then just stick with it because you just yeah. need one little thing to tip your way. Yeah. Um, and it's crazy how that, you know, I, man, just that one, you know, five seconds of my hunting season completely changed how my entire year is, you know, f- how it feels now. Looking back on this past, you know, 11 months of work and time and everything, it's totally different now in my head that this actually came together like that. And it was just because of five seconds of all those hours. Right. Um, so, man, I'm just very thankful that I got that opportunity. I'm very, I realize I'm super blessed and fortunate that I went that way. Um, and, you know, just was a great opportunity to learn something and just try to get better. And I just can't wait to hear on the next podcast how you hopefully will have that little thing. <laughs> no, I was thinking way. about this. I was thinking about this. The last podcast, you said by Wednesday, I will, you know, we'll be hearing from you about the buck. So don't jinx me, buddy. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work out, but I, you know, I, I still have I got, faith. I, I still got a little bit of time left and anything can happen. Season's not over. Maybe my wife will say, you know what? Why don't you take another weekend off? And I'll be like, what? Man, I'll tell you what, the, the last, you know, week, 10 days of November can be really good. Yep. Yep. So I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I, <laughs> I hit a buck. I, the whole long story, but you know, I had a, a, a four year old 160 class 10 that I hit and never found. And he's still alive and, and in the area come through two years ago. So, you know, I rattled him in. I, I, I feel I rattled him in, although I, I couldn't see him. I blind rattled uh, two years ago. And, uh, like 15 minutes later he came in. So I'm assuming he heard me and, and was coming into that. But, you know, right now these, you know, as of right now and towards the end of the, uh, end of November, they're breaking off does right now. And they're going to, they're going to continue to search these bedding areas for the last available doe for the next week, I would say. So there's, there is still definitely time to, to get, get on a deer and, you know, find a doe bedding area right now and wait because these deer are breaking off from their last does and they're going to make a couple more laps through their, through their area looking for, you know, looking for that next or last available doe. And this is the time. And from, from my past experience where the giants show up out of nowhere. Yeah. I, I hear that from so many people. Yeah. That just for whatever reason that maybe these super mature deer, they they know that there's still some action to be had, so they really get after it here at the end. But I've heard from so many people, you know, that those couple days before Thanksgiving and after Thanksgiving, that week, give or take around there or whatever, can just be a great time to catch a giant cruising still. So yep. I uh, I rattled in Jawbreaker two years ago on the 24th of November, and then I saw Glenn, the buck I killed this year, I saw him twice during midday. All three of those encounters were during midday on November 24th. So uh, something to keep in mind. It's it's worth putting in the time. Right. So, Dan, anything else you want to know about Glenn, about my rut hunts, anything else you want to say about your rutcation or final thoughts? I want to know, are you going back to Iowa? Good question. Yes. I Good. am planning on trying to still get it done in Iowa. Um, it's going to be interesting because there's, you know, as we talked about, there's a bunch of guys out there and I'm still trying to figure out where I can hunt without having other guys kind of screw with things, but I'm going to try. Um, but historically people are taking the first and second weekend or first and second week of vacation to go deer hunt. And now that that's over, I have a feeling that you're going to have better luck on these farms just because people are going back to work. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping. That's what I'm kind of banking on. Um, my only issue is that I've got some family obligations coming up here for the next almost, you know, almost the rest of November. I'm kind of just locked down with family obligations. I've got the, the traditional northern Michigan deer camp that I'm going to this weekend with family that, you know, is something that's important from a family perspective and, and great yeah. to be up there. So I'm going up there for the weekend 
And then right after that, we've got Thanksgiving festivities with my family and my wife's family. Um, so I, the next potential date that I could get away would be like those couple days after Thanksgiving before shotgun season. Um, so I'm hoping to swing out there for the final days of November. When's your shotgun season? Is it December 2nd or 5th or what is December it? December 5th through, and then it's like, I think it's two and a half weeks or something like that. Yeah. So I think I'm going to try to get out there for as many days as I possibly can between Thanksgiving and the start of shotgun season. Which is five days. Yeah. So so basically I have that, that chunk of time there to try to get it done. So right. we'll see. It'll be interesting. I've uh, been super lucky so far, I guess, so maybe I can continue it and have best year ever. I don't know. We'll see. Never know. You never know. Anything can happen. So I guess I think that's everything we need, Dan. I think uh, next week we're going to have a good guest on since it's just been you and me, John, for a while here. And nobody so, wants to listen to that. I don't think anyone does. So. <laughs> this is going to be, just like last week, the lowest ratings you've ever had. <laughs> we'll get a guest on and the ratings will go back up. You can keep your sponsors. That's what, that's what the people want. <laughs> so should have a good episode for you guys next week. We're going to have a good story for you from Dan. Knock on wood. Um, and Thanks, bud. You just jinxed me again. So, two jinxes. Does that cancel out or does that make a double jinx no, for next year? It cancels. That's what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying okay. to cancel it out. Okay. <laughs> and uh, in other news, make sure to check out our two other podcasts, the Whitetail Q&A podcast, which is produced by me for Wired to Hunt. I haven't been on there for the last couple of weeks, but we'll have new episodes this week too and next. So check that out. And then also check out Dan's new podcast, the Nine Finger Chronicles uh, podcast where he talks about gear. There's some cool stuff there. Please check those out. Leave a rating or review on iTunes. We really appreciate that. Um, also, there's new Wired to Hunt gear available at wiredhunt.com slash shop. I realized that we launched that new gear a couple weeks ago and this whole time, the links to purchase have been wrong. So there's been some technical issues there. So check it out now. It should be a lot easier to make that purchase if you want to. New hats, new hoodies, stuff like Mine's that. In the mail. Dan's is in the mail. Right. Okay. And sure. yeah. <laughs> and finally, of course, we want to thank our partners who help make this podcast possible. So big thank you to Sick of Gear, Trophy Ridge, Bear Archery, Redneck Blinds, Huntera Maps. Ozonics, Carbon Express, Lacrosse Boots, and the Whitetail Institute of North America. But most importantly, as we do say every week, and we really mean it, we want to thank you all for listening, for joining us here today. Man, we appreciate it. So, hope that you guys have had an awesome rut so far. Hope these hunts have gone well. And if not, just keep at it, keep grinding, have a great week, and stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.